Is that? Can we check the audio on that? Oh. But you can hear it. You can hear it here or there, though, right? We just. Does the average UK person know who that is? You don't know who that is? Kobe Bryant? Kobe? Kobe Bryant? Oh, yes. A coffee would be great. Yeah, just black, Americano, whatever. We'll hunt Matt down. He probably knows, right? Like, <laughs> What's the story? Are you not happy, or? Still <laughs> to be happy about? You're up to I asked Susie, I'm like, job's not finished. Job finished? <laughs> I don't think so. That I'm like Kobe. She's like guy who died. I was like, oh, come on, you can't just know about that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, it's it's like a side notes. Yeah. Okay, I could pull it up a different way. It'll just be kind of less convenient. If it doesn't work, I'll... Uh, am I doing some test? Anyway. I am. Okay, I'm on, actually. I think yeah. my microphone is on. Okay, I'm testing my microphone right now. I'm testing my microphone. Someone hear me? Heather, you hear me? How do I sound on stream? I didn't know I was on the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's talk. Let's talk about what is the biggest fish I can find on the earth. Oh, actually, I don't know too much about fish. I only know about eating fish, but I don't actually know about fish. Oh, whoops! I must have looked down at the 2019. Uh, I don't remember if I did that the first time or not. Apart from fish. Yeah, I can, I can hear. Oh, uh, I don't there we go. I must have done it twice in a row, <laughs> looking down at that nine. Yeah. Yeah. How do I look on camera? Oh, yeah. No, I can't. Yeah, okay. That's a this when I hit this will it automatically play the slide that okay 
I'm talking to you, Andrew, and... Uh, we're continuing on in the book of Acts, um, the final chapter. We're calling this unfinished business, fortifying the faithful. And when I think of fortifying or, or strength training, I, I often think of athletics. So uh, this right here, if you can uh, um, bear with me with a, a U.S. reference, that's the bold USA. So this is my friend Brian Err, uh, grew up near me. Uh, he competed yesterday in karate. Uh, and unfortunately, he didn't medal, but he certainly had a whole lot of medal. Um, M-E-T-T-L-E, if you can forgive me a pun. Um, he, he's been competing in, uh, in uh, martial arts for 25 years, and his first busted nose was at the Olympics when he took a kick to the face. Um, but he was, he was good. Um, uh, some years ago, I was chatting with Brian. Uh, it was coming up, uh, I think he had about a month before the Pan American Games. And uh, he told me, he goes, Pat, I, I tore my ACL. And I was like, oh, when are you going to have surgery? He's like, oh, I'm going to wait until after the Pan American Games. There's something about athletes, right, in which when most of us would quit, they keep going. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong for athletes to quit for physical reasons. Oftentimes, it's, it's worthwhile. But there's, there's something to the examples in which you see the perseverance, right, which they push through hardship. If you forgive me one more American reference, uh, one of the best basketball players ever, a man by the name of Kobe Bryant, Unfortunately, you might have heard him in the news uh, back in 2020, he passed away in a helicopter accident. Um, well, Kobe, uh, one of his famous or infamous um, press conferences, uh, he was up two games to none um, in, uh, in the playoffs, and uh, he wasn't happy. And so a reporter asked him, he goes, why, why aren't you smiling? You're up, you're up two games to none. And this, this was his response. What's the story? Are you not happy or I think Kobe, perhaps uh, beyond any other athlete I've ever seen play, had a, a mean drive to him. He wanted to work and work and work, leave it all on the court until the job was, was finished. We're going to talk today about some unfinished work that, that Paul had. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say we need to be like Kobe in the sense we need to be upset all the time until the work is finished. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, but perhaps we can pick up a little bit of this drive, a little bit of this, this athletic drive of unfinished business and what it means to accomplish um, a task until it's done. So I'm going to invite David up to uh, read our passage today. So we're starting from just the end of verse 20. The next day, Paul and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, 
where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Thank you, David. So why am I calling this unfinished business? Well, Paul is on his first missionary journey, right? He goes through all these cities, and a number of them he's persecuted. We, we saw last week that he was, he was stoned in, in Lystra. And yet he got up, he returned to the city, and he kept going. But not only did he keep going, after he went to Derby, and he had a, seemed to have a great, great success in Derby, people responded. We don't see any resistance recorded. Yet he decides to backtrack and to visit all these cities he had just been to. So read in verse 21 and 22a, it says, they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. So what is Paul's unfinished business? Well, Paul's unfinished business is fortifying the faithful. You could even say it's fortifying the faithful in the faith. Now, before I go on, I want to, I want to look at those two words. One, to, to fortify, which we see, we see over here is, is uh, to strengthen. Um, some translations might say to confirm. I want us to think of this as, as an inner strength, not simply weight training, right? It's not about getting buff. It's not about being more agile or more mobile, but perhaps think of defenses. Now, I, I put, picked this, this analogy um, for a particular reason, because I want us to think of something that seems to be contradictory, something that seems to be a bit of an oxymoron. It's a, an analogy I'll return to later. It's that we as Christians are meant to be fortified like a castle, but with the gates wide open. Now, I know that seems like an oxymoron, right? But when you think of the fortifications as an inner strength and not simply an outer defensiveness, you'll understand what I mean. So Paul's unfinished business is fortifying the faithful. Why do I say it's fortifying the faithful? Don't you usually fortify that which is not yet faithful? Well, what do we see in Acts 14, 21? It says, they preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple, uh, this helps word study. I thought, found this helpful. It's a property learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require. We have, we have two concepts going here. It's not simply a change of mind or change of belief, but it's a change of, of life. It's to become a devout adherent to a particular way of being, a particular way of living. So our first lesson today is Paul did not set out simply to make converts. I think sometimes today we can be tempted to only focus on making converts. Some years ago, I was chatting with uh, one of my old bosses. Uh, for those who don't know, I used to drive a school bus uh, through grad school, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I could tell you lots of stories of times with the kids. But my boss, I would sometimes sit in the office and chat with them, and he went through an incredible journey. The first time I met him, he'd asked what I studied. And I said, well, I study apologetics, which is about, it's pretty much a philosophy of religion. It's about a defense of the Christian faith. And he's like, oh, all religions are the same. They're all nonsense. And that was the first time I met my boss. 
Fast forward three years, he's, he comes to me and he's like, I've been reading a lot. I've been really interested in this sort of new age paganism. And I was like, okay, let's, let's talk through this. About two years later, he's like, well, well Pat, I'm, I'm trying to decide. I either want to become Celtic pagan or Christian, and I can't decide. I mean, talk about the roller coaster of a journey. And we had great conversations. But the reason I share this is because when he began to look for a church, he went to a church in the area. He visited for a few weeks, and then he came back and spoke with me. He said, Pat, I don't think I'm going to go back there. And I said, why? He said, well, I, I went there. I had just become a Christian. And the pastor said, hey, if you already know the Lord, we don't need you in that seat. We need people who don't know the Lord yet in that seat. He's like, well, so I left. <laughs> Sometimes we can become so focused on the first step of converting, of changing people's minds, that we forget The goal is to make disciples, which begins with changing minds, which changes the hearts, and which changes the actions. Now, this is not a new idea with with Paul. We see it all the way back to the words of Jesus, what we call the Great Commission. The sending out Jesus gave, the mission he gave to his followers as he was ascending to heaven. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we see this two-part. We see a change of mind, which requires particular content, particular beliefs, but we also see a change of, of action, and implied in that is a change of heart that will happily do those actions. Perhaps a way we can think of this is we, as Christians, are meant to be and to help people become followers, not simply fans. Now, this this language isn't isn't my own. Um, There's a whole book called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidemann, which I I highly recommend. Um, And he says this. He goes, my concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in following him. The biggest threat to church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. He goes on to say, fans don't mind Jesus doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. Being a follower is a lot harder than being a fan. The Great Commission, the mission of the church, this unfinished business of Paul is to continue the work of making followers of Christ, not simply fans. The church's mission is not simply to change people's minds about Jesus, but to make devoted disciples, followers of Jesus in content, character, and action. You might think of it as mind, heart, and hands. Now, we saw in this that he was... He was trying to strengthen them in the the faith. Isn't faith simply just some belief? 
I think we go wrong when we think of faith simply as belief. It's a very particular kind of belief. It's a belief that produces or leads to faithfulness. You see, the the Jewish word for faith, which we see in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, that word can be translated both faith and faithfulness. So I want us to think of faith and faithfulness as two sides of the same coin. It's more than simply a change of mind. It's entering wholeheartedly into a different way of life as a follower of Jesus. You cannot have faith without faithfulness, nor faithfulness without the content of the faith. Two weeks ago, um, John uh, spoke on what knowledge can, can produce without a changed life, right? That knowledge can puff up, and if we don't let our beliefs change our hearts, it leads to a dead faith. He may have used different words, but that was the content of his message. I hope you agree, John. The flip is also, you cannot simply try to live the right way without understanding learning and growing in the content of the faith. Because if Paul is calling us to be strengthened so we can hold fast in the faith, you need to know what you're holding fast to. And Paul had good reason for this because we see him writing this letter to the Galatians, which is a letter to the same area of churches on this missionary journey right now. And Paul says, I am astonished that you you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Why is this so strong? Well, because Paul believes life is only in Christ. John, a follower of Jesus, believes, says, if you are in Christ, you have life. If you're not in Christ, you don't have life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's this kind of exclusivity to the truth. Now, we'll talk a little bit later that that shouldn't produce a a posture of exclusivity. But it should produce a steadfastness that we hold on to the words of Christ that we hold on to the life-changing power of what Christ has done for us. So our first point is followers over fans. And if you're a follower, you have the content, you have the character, and you also have the action. But how else are we meant to be strengthened? I want you to think of this. I want you to think of perseverance over Preservation. Perseverance over preservation. Acts 14.22b says, we must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's not simply you may endure many hardships, it's you must endure hardships. Perhaps I should put a picture of Thanos in the slide saying it is inevitable. Nobody. (laughs) No sports, no Avengers. You guys just I like email me like what analogies work and we'll go from there. Rain. <laughs> Rain. We'll talk about the weather every every day. <laughs> you must endure many hardships 
to enter the kingdom, kingdom of God, which weather does work for <laughs> as well. I had, a, I had a, a, a lecturer in my first year of undergrad. Uh, he would say this. He was, he was teaching um, a book of the Bible to us, and he had this phrase. I, it, would always, it always makes me crack up, and I remember to this day, he says, cheer up, it's going to get worse. <laughs> you know, in a, in a small way, that should be our attitude as Christians. Not that we're pessimistic, but we understand we are going to go through hard times. That doesn't mean we manufacture hard times. That doesn't mean we, we confuse criticism for not living up to the standards of Christ with actual resistance to us living up to the standards of Christ. But I want you to think of hardships as perseverance over preservation. Uh, an old classic, hopefully this analogy lands, Saving Private Ryan. Anybody? Anybody? A few? So there's this scene that still turns my stomach in it. It's a, there's a, a soldier who's uh, a German, he, uh, he's, he's kind of, he's terrified, and he's, he's hunching down uh, next to some stairs, I believe. And he sees a German soldier going up, and he's going to be sneaking up behind some of his, his fellow soldiers. And all he has to do is stand up and do something and fight, but he can't. He hears the struggle, and he, just, he shrivels up, and he can't move. And his fellow soldiers die because he can't bring himself to move. He's paralyzed because he values preservation over perseverance as a soldier. Perhaps um, the picture of Jesus will be helpful here. We see him in in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think this is a perfect picture of of perseverance, of what it means to be a true follower of Christ, which is, is good because it's Christ himself. We see uh, when he's brought in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying. He knows he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He knows he's going to be crucified. And yet his, his, his human nature does not want to go through that suffering. I mean, who wants to go through that suffering? And yet he prays this. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, this, this suffering, this death, be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He goes and he sees his you know, disciples you know, sleeping, wakes them up, and goes back and prays again. And he goes, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. That's the picture we need as followers. It's perseverance, not simply preservation. Because hardships will come. And in fact, if our goal is perseverance, not simply preservation, then moments will come when being faithful means turning towards hardship rather than away from it. There's times in which our mission to go into the world and to make disciples, to show people the love of Christ and his truth and his life, it'll create, create a very uncomfortable context for us. Now, thankfully, both here and when I'm back in the States, we, generally speaking, have rather comfortable context to share our faith. We might be embarrassed. We might feel awkward. But a time may come in which God calls us to go somewhere in which which it's more dangerous. Or a time may come in which here it's more dangerous. And perhaps we as a church should spend more time being fortified and less time being frustrated with the changes in society. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up for religious freedom. I think those are good things. But when we make 
preservation of our rights and preservation of what we have, our primary goal, we can lose sight of the perseverance God calls us to through the process. So we have followers over fans. We have preservation over perseverance. We have accountability over autonomy. Now, as Paul and Barnabas are going back to these churches, they appoint elders, leaders. Sometimes we use the word pastor. We use the term elders here. Appointed elders, plural, for them in each church, praying and fasting, and they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Why do I say accountability over autonomy? Because I think in modern society, we are prone to a radical autonomy, a radical self-determination that says, I am going to do this my way. I am going to do this alone. If I, if I meet any resistance to people trying to keep me accountable, I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else or I'll simply resist it. Now, being honest, there are a lot of bad examples of bad authority. So I, I want you to hear that. I, I am not uh, arguing for some kind of authoritarian structure in the church. Even pastors, elders themselves are meant to be held accountable by those in the church. Even when Paul was preaching to the Bereans, it says the Bereans searched the scriptures to see what he was saying was true. So even the pastors, the elders are included in this accountability. But we must choose community over isolation. Accountability is what helps us grow in the discipleship process to become more devoted, more faithful, um, more equipped followers of Christ, and it helps sustain us when the hardships come. The solution to bad cases of organized religion is not disorganized religion or unorganized religion. The, The solution is real accountability, not radical autonomy. Now, I'm one that, you know, by personality, I'm, I'm a bit prone to autonomy, right? I'm not a huge fan of authority. And I have to check myself on those matters because there is good, there is godly authority, there is godly accountability, and I must humble myself to enter into community in which others keep me accountable. So we have followers over fans We have perseverance over preservation. We have accountability over autonomy. The last one I'll say is we have invitation over isolation. What do I mean by this? Verse 27. When they arrived, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. When the strengthening of the followers of Christ is predominantly an inner strength, an inner power that humbly perseveres to accomplish the mission Jesus gave us to love others and to spread his love and to preach the gospel, then we will choose invitation, inclusion over exclusion or Defensiveness. It's the fortified castle with the door wide open. Let me say that again. If being fortified in the faith is about inner integrity, not outer defenses, then it becomes an invitation, not an obstacle. 
to the outsider. So as we reflect on these these points, this unfinished business of Paul in which he's going back to the churches to strengthen them so they can be followers, not fans, so they can persevere rather than simply focus on preservation, so they can have accountability and not simply autonomy, and so that the gospel in their lives can be an invitation open to all rather than isolation. What does this mean for us? Do you need to grow in the content of your faith? To know the faith so that you're not tricked like the Galatians were? Led astray? Do you need to know better what you are called to remain faithful to? Do you struggle with confidence? Now, confidence can go two ways. You can have what we call doubt of the mind. You know, intellectual doubts. Is this really true? We have some great resources over there. Um, I mentioned earlier I studied apologetics, which is just an academic study of a defense of the Christian faith. I'm happy to have coffee with anybody um, if you want to have conversations about any doubts you have. And I'm sure many others here would have, have conversations with you as well. Or perhaps there's a doubt of the heart. This is a doubt of the will or the passions. And this is what, what James is talking about in the book of James when he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's like trying to stand on a dock and a boat at the same time as they're trying to move apart from each other, right? And you're not sure whether you want to go to the boat or the dock, boat or the dock, right? You've got to make up your mind, right? Are you struggling in that area? And perhaps you're asking questions like, is this really worth it? Perhaps you're struggling with character. Perhaps you need to focus on the spiritual disciplines, perhaps reading your Bible, devotions with others, uh, reading good Christian books or testimonies, uh, stories of Christian lives, Maybe you need to focus more on prayer. Maybe you need to focus on fasting, things you can give up to help focus uh, and reprioritize your life. Perhaps you need more accountability, not simply because you need it now. Sometimes we think of accountability like, you know, AA, because like, oh, I have a problem. I need to go find accountability. No, accountability is needed for all people because you may need it in the future. Others may need you to be in that accountability relationship. And it will be what sustains you going forward. And perhaps you struggle with action. Is my life a reflection of my faith in both word and deed? I want to invite you guys to think of something, one of these, one of these things I listed, content, confidence, character, accountability, or action. Pick one of those. Say, I'm going to work on this this week. As I close, uh, uh, this is the, the first uh, winner of an uh, Olympic gold medal for the Philippines. Uh, incredible story. She competed in multiple Olympics. She didn't place the first time. I think she came in silver last, last Olympics, and then she won gold this time. And this is what she had posted about five weeks before the Olympics. She said, little things can add up. Yes, the goal is getting that gold, but it's also the journey of not giving up and just taking each day as a chance to start over. Perhaps this is the day you need to start over. What will you do today? I'll invite musicians up. We're going to close together reflecting on perseverance over preservation. Uh, I know some of you are facing um, significant struggles in your life just now. I'm sure there are struggles that we know nothing about. 
this song encourages us to um, persevere. I think we should sit to sing for this one. Just reflect. <laughs>